Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Today's episode is the fourth and final part of the Black History Month celebrations focusing on the topics around kidney health and the black community. My two guests joining me today in this two-part episode celebrating black living kidney donors is Della Idowu and Richie Mazibanghanga. In the first part of this episode, I will be speaking with Della, founder of Gold, Gift of Living Donation Charity. Then in part two of this episode, I'll be speaking with Richie, who will be sharing his living kidney donor story. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Della? I'm great. Thank you so much, Dee. It's great to be here again. Yes, it's wonderful to have you back on the podcast. For those of you listening for the first time, Della is a friend of the podcast. We had a fabulous interview together in episode 25. We talked about living kidney donation and the UK black community and Della shared her story of how gold began. So please do check out episode 25 featuring Della and it's a fabulous, fabulous episode. So please do check it out. So yes, Della, you're back and it's wonderful again to have you here. And yes, this is Black History Month and this is going to be the first part of a two-part episode. So yes, packing as much as we can into Black History Month as possible. And we're actually going to be celebrating Black living donors in the UK. Now, quite often it is shared in the media, the statistics show that Black people don't donate, Black people don't come forward as donors. But I know, and you are testament that There is a lot of work going on within the Black community to raise awareness, to help people to come forward and become living donors. And I know that you are an integral part of that, Della. So yes, we're going to start smashing through some myths and some misconceptions and all the rest of it, smash through that negativity and stereotyping sometimes and talk about what is being done. So yes, Della. I'm handing it over to you. Let's celebrate Black Living Donors. Oh, thank you so much, Dee. And yes, they they really need to be celebrated. And, you know, as you rightly said, if you listen to the media, if you listen to what's being said, it's often been said that Black people don't come forward to donate anything, to be honest, blood, organs, stem cells. And to some extent, when I came forward as a living donor, as you know, for my brother, I really wanted to donate because I know it's something that we as Black people don't often do. And even me, that's from the Black community, I believed that. But surprisingly enough, 
in 2019 when I just felt I wanted to bring all the Black Living Donors together just to celebrate them, just as we're doing now. You know what, Dee, I thought would have maybe a couple of hundred, you know, if that, if we're to go by the statistics and what's being said. I was actually blown away when we started compiling our database of the number of Black Living Donors in the UK. And we had over 500. I could not believe it. I mean, obviously, that figure has gone up now. But actually, well, surprisingly, you know, when I came forward as a living donor, people in the Black community, naturally, we are giving. So when I said to people, oh, I'm going to be a living donor for my brother, it was like, she said, you know what, I could do that. I could be a living donor for a loved one, my husband, my brother. I'm not sure whether I would sign up to the organ donor register. I'll be very honest with you, but I could come forward as a living donor. And it's just amazing because they really are just giving their loved ones the a new lease of life. So it's definitely worth celebrating and celebrating them in this special Black History episode. That sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, to hear that so many people have come forward and donated and like you said, transform someone's life, giving somebody the gift of life, giving them a better quality of life by that precious gift. It definitely should be celebrated and acknowledged. And so in terms of the work that you do, what kind of things are you doing in terms of raising awareness and support for people who maybe might be on the fence and considering or maybe don't even know anything about living donation? One of the things, and and I want to just go back a little bit, Dee, in the sense that we do have a large percentage of Black people that actually do come forward as donors. And I'd use myself as an example. I mean, I came forward as donor. I wanted to donate. But as you are very aware in the Black community, diabetes and high blood pressure is very common. So when people come forward as living donors for a loved one, I can tell you roughly about a third of us, myself included, can't then go on to be donors. I think that's a very crucial point that I need to get across as well, that we do want to come forward. We do want to donate to our loved ones. But because maybe underlying issues like especially high blood pressure, then we can't go over to donate. So I just wanted to plug that one in because I think that's very important. I think that is an important point to make because quite often when I speak to people about living donation and they have concerns, they're like, oh, you know, if I donate, is it going to make me ill? X, Y, and Z. But as Dr. Frank said in his interview, consultant transplant surgeon Dr. Frank said, we don't want to create two patients. So they will not allow you to come forward and donate unless you are absolutely fit and healthy and able to do so. They're not going to put you in danger in order to donate to somebody else. So, yeah, I think it really is an important point to reiterate that the desire is there, which isn't necessarily shown in the statistics. So the statistics might say there's X amount of donors, but it doesn't actually say what X amount of people came forward. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, weren't able to donate. And I think that's important for us and the work that we do in the sense that we also take data of the number of people who have been successful and have gone on to donate, but also those who 
showed a willingness and came forward and those who took part in the assessment themselves, but unfortunately weren't able to donate. So that data, that evidence, I think is also crucial because it then gives us the bigger picture and not just a small section of it, you know. So that's part of the work that we do because it's very crucial that when a patient is sitting there and they've been told, you know, you're going to have to find a donor. It's very difficult for somebody in the black community. And sometimes we have to break down some of those health inequalities because you've got a black person sitting in front of a white consultant. They've gone into autopilot and in their mind, well, they're not going to find a living donor because they don't come forward to donate. And, And I think that again has to... I think clinicians almost have to stop and have a little bit more empathy that, okay, people in their community don't often come forward to donate, but what can we do? How can I signpost it? How can I make it easier? And I think that was where our project, the Peer Buddy Scheme, has really come into play because it's a community support. So what we are doing is encouraging healthcare professionals to say to patients that, okay, It's difficult, we know, within your community to find a living donor. But you know what? We've got a project where you can actually talk to somebody who's been through the process that can talk about the assessments, the surgery, all the emotions that you will feel. And I think when clinicians and healthcare professionals do that, what you're invariably saying is that your life matters. I care about you and I care that your health outcomes are better. And that's why I want you to try and speak to somebody who could help you. If they still decide they don't want to go ahead, but then you know as a clinician that you have tried your best to support and give this person the best outcomes. So that's the role of our scheme, which is a peer body scheme, which is made up of Black living donors and recipients who just really want to give back to their community And it's so simple. They're just sharing their story and saying, you know what, this is how it was for me. I was a little bit reluctant to come forward as a living donor, but I spoke to somebody. This is my experience. This is my rollercoaster of emotions. And this is me now living life with one kidney. And what I find that these conversations do have the power to empower patients to go back to their loved ones and say, you know what, I've spoken to a living donor. And I think it's something that I'm now empowered to come and talk to you and share a little bit more information and knowledge. And that is so empowering and so powerful. It's one thing when you're speaking to somebody who's talking about it from a a theory point of view, but actually talking to somebody, and I'm going to say that word again, guys, who has that lived experience. I say that a lot. I think I say that almost every episode. But speaking to somebody who has that lived experience and has walked the walk and not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, I think is so powerful and so empowering as well. So how would somebody get in contact and find a body? I mean, at the moment, and you know, you're quite right. It's that simple. It sounds so simple, but that simple conversation in speaking to somebody, as you rightly said, that have lived experience, I can just tell you, it's so crucial. So for me, it's a great intervention. And and we went back to, well, you know, how can we work in collaboration with people like, you know, Frank, so they can signpost. So what we're trying to do, we're doing this study at the moment whereby 
people like Frank, people like Hannah, who you've interviewed before, actually signpost new patients very early when they're talking about their transplant options and they're talking about living donation, they're talking about deceased donation, they can actually say to their Black patients, well, actually, part of your transplant options is living donation. And we can sign first you or refer you to the peer body scheme. So that's one way they can join or they can self-refer. I mean, we've got posters all around the transplant centres, dialysis units, or actually we've had people that have just actually gone into Google and have typed in black living donor and gold has come up on the peer body scheme. But there's so many different ways. But I, I really do think if we're going to make an impact and increase some of those numbers, it has to be working in collaboration with the clinical team, with the consultants and the community. Absolutely. Actually, you know, you know, Dee, I just think that where we are at the moment in terms of celebrating, and it's all about celebrating their achievements. I mean, the work that they did during the pandemic was absolutely amazing because you had potential black living donors you had patients who had family members coming forward and they didn't know what to do they didn't all the information that was coming out and the the peer buddies and and who were made up I said living donors were absolutely amazing in the support that they gave you know and even the ongoing support that they're doing now so for me it is about the community now taken ownership and saying, well, what can we do to make a difference? What can we do to transform people's lives and especially people within our community? So I have to go back that word to celebrate them. Though It's really worth celebrating to be able to give another person the gift of life to say, you can have one of my kidneys so you can have a better quality of life. That for me is an act of love and an act of sacrifice and one can't underestimate that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing with me about the wonderful work that you're doing with living kidney donors and supporting kidney patients across the UK. And do you have a final word for the listeners? I do. You know, we're celebrating Black living donors. So there might be somebody out there who is a consultant, a patient, a potential family member thinking, is this something I can do? As one of our living donors said, it's about doing the right thing, you know, do the right thing. And I and I think that's from that's from a film, isn't it? Yeah, Spike Lee. Um, Spike Lee, you know, and for her it was do the right thing. So I'm gonna say what Vicky says, do the right thing. And if there are any healthcare professionals that think, well, black people don't donate go the extra mile, talk to them about it, because you might just be changing their lives. So it's an honour to celebrate the Black Living Donors during Black History Month. And what a privilege it is to be here. Thank you so much, Dave, for inviting me. Thank you so, so much for joining me again. Thank you. Stay tuned for part two of this episode, Richie's Living Kidney Donor Story. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Richie? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. How are you doing, Dee? I'm good. I'm really good. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to this interview today. You are one of the people that I call a superhero. Wow. Because (laughs) today we are celebrating Black living kidney donors and I don't use that term lightly and I absolutely mean it when I say that 
anybody who comes forward to gift somebody the gift of life to me is a superhero. So it really is an honor to be interviewing you today. No, it's an honor to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me uh, to be on your podcast. And superhero, that's the first time I've ever been called a superhero. So thank <laughs> you very much. I just thank God, to be honest, for giving me the opportunity to do what I did. Uh, but yeah, superhero. Wow, wow, wow. Humbled yeah. me today. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the second part of the Celebrating Black Living Kidney Donors theme that we have for Black History Month. And in this episode, we're going to talk about your journey. And so I'm going to start with my first question. And my first question is, how did your living kidney donor journey begin? Well, it's been a long journey from when I was young, because polycystic kidneys have been hereditary on my mom's side of the family. I've lost uncles and aunts to that. And one of my uncles received a kidney from his wife here in the UK. And I was, I witnessed that journey firsthand from the start to the end because we all lived in Petersfield in Hampshire then. And it was just a miracle seeing my uncle from where he started to where he ended up. He was frail. Even his skin color changed. His tone changed when he received the kidney and it brought so much life to him. Fast forward a few years. Unfortunately, my mom suffered from, um, well, multiple organ failure and when she got discharged from the hospital, they then found out she had MRSA. And one of those organs that had failed prior, which started working again, was her kidneys. And then uh, she unfortunately passed away. Then a few years after that, my cousin, I call her cousin, but in our culture, she's actually an aunt. There's a title called My Nini. Uh, I'm from Zimbabwe, by the way. That's <laughs> okay. called My Nini. And then she's, I have to show her respect because she's from my mom's side of the family. So she was diagnosed with polycystic kidneys. And I witnessed the journey where it started off, she was okay. And then, then she had to go on dialysis. She was self-dialyzing at home and she had the machines and she would tell me about it on the phone. We'll talk about it. But you know, when you don't witness it firsthand, you just think, yeah, she's okay. She's okay. We went over to a house to visit. This is when I say we, it's my mother, my other half, my daughter and I. And whilst there, she yeah, had to go to bed early around eight o'clock because she had to go on the machine for a few hours. You can tell that she's tired, you know, she had lost a lot of weight. She wasn't her usual self. And then I saw her again a few months after uh, at party. And then she had to leave the party early because she had to go home self-dialysis. I then went to visit her again. And then I just asked her, how can I be of assistance? How can I help you? Then she says, oh, no, you do as much as you can, Richie, you know, everything's fine. And then I was just like, no, as in, I, I want to help you. How can I donate a kidney? And she goes, no, no, don't worry about it. She was so humble. She said, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. You could tell she's known me as a, as a baby. And she held me in her arms as a little child and that. And the thought of me donating a kidney to her just, yeah, it probably didn't cross her mind. And I offered and offered. And then I asked her if anyone else had come forward. She mentioned that her brother had come forward and her sister. And unfortunately, there weren't matches. So I just kept on applying pressure and said okay how can we find out if I'm a match what can we do she then got me in touch with someone and then um, the process began and lo and behold I believe in God and I believe everything happens for a reason 
and every interaction, every situation, everything's for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. So it turns out that we were a perfect match, same blood type uh, or blood group, is it? Yeah, same blood group. And it was just like a wow moment. And then they conducted numerous tests, strenuous tests, because they wanted to make sure that I will be fine after because it was hereditary in our family. And they wanted to make sure that I did not have a trace of this. And I had surpassed the age where I, I should have been showing symptoms by then because I've got cousins at the moment who, who are going to need kidney donations. I've got three cousins at the moment, uh, one, one in England and two in Zimbabwe who've got PKD. So it's one of those where, I, 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 yeah, this is what I could do. So they did the, the, the tests, the tests went on and found that, yeah, that's okay. They all gave me the all clear. I also had a lot of support from family because they had witnessed and seen the journey with my aunt and uncle, my aunt donating a kidney to my lovely uncle. And then I had lots of support from friends. My other half uh, was more worried about what the impact would be on me because it's hereditary. And yeah, the doctors gave her the okay, just let, let her know that there's no problems at all. And then, yeah, everything. So I had a lot of support from family and friends, and that helped me a lot. And then also the staff. I want to give special mention to Alison from the Royal Free. She was my transplant coordinator. She made the journey so much easier for me, you know, and the surgeons conducted the operation, everything else over there, fantastic. But it was, I feel it was such an easy journey for me because I had witnessed that firsthand. And because you know what it's like in life where you aspire, you've got people, role models, and you've got people you aspire to become and you witness things firsthand and you want to become that and you, you're you more inclined to help because you've witnessed it firsthand. I've feel that in our own communities as black people, we don't have as much exposure to that. I'm speaking of myself being Zimbabwean, where coming from Zimbabwe, I'd never heard of that. That was unheard of, like giving your organ to someone else. And even if you had had that take where you take, I'll donate my organs to other people when I pass away, that's kind of a taboo because these are your organs. It's not your body. God gave you that body kind of thing. So it's just having that exposure, having seen that firsthand that this is possible and you can save someone's life. This is giving someone the gift of life. And yeah, what else can I, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to impact me. I'm actually healthier now than I was then, <laughs> which blows my mind yet again, blessings from above. I hope that answers your question, Dee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like, so many of your family members were affected by PKD, which means it was even more of a braver choice, I think, from my point of view, of seeing so many people going through that. Wasn't there ever a point within yourself that you were worried that you might have PKD yourself? You're the first person to ever ask me that. And no, that never crossed my mind. <laughs> not at all. You know, no, no, not at all. And for those of you who are not sure what PKD is short for, it's polycystic kidney disease. Yeah. So did you have any reservations at all? Were you concerned you're a young person? So were you concerned in terms of family planning for the future or the impact that it might have on your body? Did you have any concerns at all? Um, in terms of concerns, not as much. I... I'm always told that I think of other people before I think of myself, but it's the people I love and care about. And one of my number one values is relationships. And I'm a strong believer in that we're all here to make the world a better place. If we can make an improvement and leave the world a slightly better place than we found it for the next generation, then all will be well. So honestly speaking, that I didn't have those concerns because 
It's again from the first, this was even prior to meeting the doctors or the transplant coordinators. But they, when I met them, they assured me that they're going to conduct all the tests. And if there is any slight chance that they might leave me worse off than I am now, then they would stop the whole process. And I was just praying that that would not happen. And thank God that did not happen. So in terms of concerns, no, no, not at all. Very family orientated as well. We've got a strong bond in our family. When I say family, as in my cousins, my great, great cousins, uncles and everyone, like we've got a big family. Like we can have a wedding in Zimbabwe. We'll have at least, we can have 500 people there and three quarters of them are are related, (laughs) even in-laws and that, yeah. (laughs) So a tight family unit. So quite often people will say, well, if I've got two kidneys and that's 100% function, if I give one away, then I'm going to be left with 50% function. So for somebody who might be thinking that, you mentioned earlier that actually you feel better now or you're healthier now than you were before. What do you say to that point when people say, oh, if I'm giving one away, I'm going to be 50% less? That's a myth. You need to just do your research, even Google it. You'll find out that you can live with one kidney. You do not need to both kidneys. You know, uh, I am more conscious not that I have to mind what I eat, but I am more conscious what I eat in terms of because I'm, I'm yeah, not bodybuilding, but doing a lot of exercising. I'm more conscious about looking after myself because your health, okay, yeah, cliche, your health is your wealth, but your health is the most important thing above all, above everything else, because your health comes first. Everything else is external. Your body is you, you know, your body is what makes you. So your health first and everything else after. So yes, yeah. In terms of having one kidney, 50% function, that's a myth. Yeah. One kidney is enough. So let's rewind slightly. So let's actually take somebody through the process that you went through. So you approached your aunt and you said, you know, I'm willing to donate. So what was the actual first step then? What did you have to do? What was the first piece in the puzzle? First piece in the puzzle. It's been a while, actually. It was 2015, February, where we had the transplant. And I'm sure the journey began January 2014. So it was a long process and a lot happened in that time. So first, uh, because I lived in... I still live in Hampshire. I had to go to Queen Alexandra in Portsmouth to conduct some tests, which wasn't easy because that's where I lost my mum. And yeah, but I just, yeah, soldiered on and I went there. They conducted tests. I saw doctors. There were blood tests. I don't remember what, how many tests they did and what kind of tests they did because it has been a while since then. But I had numerous appointments over the queue, Queen Alexandra. And then I also went to the Royal Free in London lots and lots of tests over there. And you also had, I wouldn't call it mediation, what was it, like counselling or just speaking to people where they would advise and just around the mental health side of it because it's not just about your body, it's also about your your thought process around it, uh, the before, the afters, the people around you. And yeah, so I had, yeah, I had a lot of support from the hospital, like I said, and family as well. But yeah, the whole hospital are very supportive. And if I needed anything, just an email away. So you went through the physical testing and then you had psychological you know, support. Preparation, yeah. yeah. And then I understand that you also have to kind of, the legal side of it to say that 
you're not being paid to do this you're doing this out of your free will <laughs> yes yeah yes yeah I remember that I completely forgotten about it that, that did make me laugh yes yeah you had to do the legal side of it so that you're not yeah you're not being co- you haven't been coerced you haven't been forced you're not being paid for this or being rewarded for it the rewards you really receive is is internal at the end of the day you know just seeing someone smile seeing someone wake up alive being able to travel the happiness is just amazing and then what came after that what happened next um yeah booked the appointment i think it was about three months in advance where advised me we're going to have your operation on this date and should anything change we'll let you know and i was advised what to do before and everything else and my other half was really supportive i had some preparation from them and had the operation at the royal free so yeah i had my I had lots of family up there with me my uncle who had received the kidney from his other half my aunt was around there my my aunt's other half and her other half were there my other half was there my cousin was there we just had lots and lots of family around at the hospital prior during and after so lots and lots of of moral support there to help lots, you through it yeah <laughs> so how was the actual recovery so You've been put under, you've given that gift of your kidney, that gift of life to your aunt. So how was your recovery after the operation? Doctors kept calling me a miracle because I think I'm sure I was discharged less than 48 after, no, I'm sure it was 48 hours after my operation. And they were just like, no, usually people (laughs) stay in here longer, as in, they were shocked by my recovery progress. It was just phenomenal, like out of this world. And they kept saying, you're so fit. You're so healthy. You're so fit, you know? And yeah, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And God had his plan. And it was just amazing. I'm just grateful for that, you know? It was such a straightforward recovery process in the hospital. And they kept me updated on everything. They let me know what's happened, how long it took, what's happened. And they kept me updated on progress as well. And that's it. Less than 24 hours after my operation... I managed to walk over to a bed and I was towed off oh. <laughs> because I did that. And then that, that's when they came and did more checks on me. They're like, oh, no, wow, wow, you've, you're recovering so well. You can go and go home and recover. And um, this was planned beforehand. I went over to my aunt's. My aunt had my other aunt over there and my beautiful fiance was there too. So I had the child, I call them the Charlie's Angels looking after me. I was pampered <laughs> to death, like seriously. Look, not to death, I was pampered to life, should I say. <laughs> I was well looked after, well looked after by them. And it was an amazing pro. And yeah, the ambulance would come and pick me up and take me back to the Royal Free for checks prior to me being allowed to leave London and go back to Hampshire. So how long after your operation were you able to go back to work and resume your normal activities? I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but <laughs> I work from home most of the time and I work on a laptop and phone okay. and in-person <laughs> meetings, but I was back at work. Less, even whilst then in London, I was answering phone calls and speaking to people and people go, no, are you, you shouldn't be phoning me, Richie. Don't, don't phone me. I know you're recovering. I'm like, no, I'm fine. So no, I, in no time at all, I was back to work. Wow. Yeah. And even in terms of now, the scars... You can barely see them. The one scar, the big scar where they remove the, the kidneys, the one you can see, it's not even big, it's centimeters. And then the two holes for the keyhole surgery, you cannot see them at all. And that's the other thing that maybe people don't realize as well is that it's actually keyhole surgery that's used. So you're not looking at a 
whacking great big scar on the no, front. Not at all. No, not at all. So I know that from your experience, you're now, uh, normally I would say pay it forward, but you already gifted and did something so generous. But you've also gone on to help and support other people with the kidney donation process. So tell me about how you became a peer buddy. Oh, peer buddy. So peer buddy is a scheme run by uh, Gift of Living Donation, which is a charity set up by Della Ido. And she's an amazing being. Like she's a beautiful being. She's, yes. she's a godsend angel. Seriously, the amount of stuff she does. It's all about celebrating kidney donors or getting people, raising more awareness and supporting people who are looking to donate and receive kidneys as well, you know. So she runs an amazing charity. I got in touch with Della, oh, I think it was 2018 or 19 when she hosted a lunch to celebrate Black living donors and Black kidney donor patients or recipients, should I say. And yeah, so this was over in King's Cross and I met Della there. She hosted the line. She paid everything out of her own money and it was amazing. We even had, oh, I forgot the gentleman's name, the guy from The Chaser who was there. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a great event. We got to interact and meet with people who've donated, recipients. Just learning about people's journeys was so fascinating because not everyone has the same journey. So yeah, it's it's just been, it was just amazing. And then I also learned about all the various, well, not all, I also learned about more kidney complications that I wasn't aware of. And yeah, and I was just so proud to see so many, many people of color who have donated kidneys to uh, loved ones or other people. It was an amazing event. After that event, Della used to send emails and yeah, I'd read the emails, newsletters, keeping us updated on various events and things going on. And then she posted about a peer buddy scheme. And the purpose of this scheme was to support people who are thinking of donating, people who have questions and maybe worried or concerned, because it's not an easy thing for everyone. Not everyone had the support I had. Not everyone had experienced a journey that I've experienced where I witnessed it firsthand, my aunt donating a kidney to my uncle. So other people have never known about this. And it's, 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 yeah, it's unheard of. And like I said, in culturally, where I come from, I know it's a taboo. People, well, it might not be a taboo, but it's just not... Not many people do that, or not you. You don't tend to witness or learn of many people doing that. So, Dilla set up this peer buddy scheme so that we can support people on their journey, and people who've been through their journey, a similar journey, can support and answer questions, be on the phone, readily available on the phone when these people have questions, and just give them more confidence in what they're doing and support them in all ways that we can. And like I said, we need more people like Della on this earth because that, that is one of the things she's done within the gift of living donation. That's just phenomenal. So what do you do in terms of the peer body scheme then? What's your role? I'm just a buddy. <laughs> I'm just a peer buddy. So I'm just there. You get paired with someone who's going through that journey and then you speak to them on the phone, be it Zoom calls. You can even meet up in person which we didn't have much of, obviously, because this was launched just, uh, this was launched, I think, a couple of months before COVID hit. So we haven't had any in-person meetings and things like that. And it's slowed down our progress slightly, but then things are kicking back up again. But yes, it'll be meeting people in person, phone calls, Zoom calls, just supporting and answering questions, emails, whatever form of communication uh, people need and support they need throughout their journey of becoming a donor. 
So for somebody listening to this podcast who might be considering living donation, maybe it's the family member or friend or even a stranger who might be nervous or scared or thinks that this might have a negative impact on their life. What would you say to that person? I'm living proof that the only impact that this has on your life is positive. I'd like to say, don't sit on the fence, just take action. Do not procrastinate, save your loved one's life. You can do more research. You can visit our Facebook group, uh, The Gift of Living Donation. And there are lots of channels or places you can research and find out information. But we're here, uh, like Della has got the peer buddy scheme or we're part of the peer buddy scheme. We can support people. I just like to encourage, first, I want to celebrate all the black donors out there who are and people of color who have donated and saved people's lives. And they're a testament as in to the fact that this is doable. This is an easy journey. It's not, it's not what people assume it is. You know, people just always expect the worst or think, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I'm going to be left off. I'm going to be worse off. No, you know, we're not worse off at all. We're actually in a better place. Like I said, I'm more healthier and fitter now than I was then. Thank you. Do you have a final word for the listeners? I would just like to say that, firstly, thank you to all the donors out there, not just kidney, you know, blood donors, all the organ donors. And yeah, even things like blood transfusion, blood donation, you know, people suffer from that as in some children, some human beings pass away because we don't have any matches. And we just like to encourage people, or firstly say thank you and celebrate people who donate. And I would just like to encourage more people, especially young people, because what I've witnessed is that you get a lot of donors out there, but it's people who've seen life, who are a bit older, mature. And they know the benefits that people are going to receive because they're aged. But as a young person, you're still going to have the same life that you would have without that organ, without that blood you've donated. So I just like to say, people, do not sit on the fence. Let's just do it. Let's save our people's lives. We all talk about Black Lives Matter. Let's make it count. Let's save their lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And as I said, superhero. This episode is about celebrating Black living kidney donors and I celebrate you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for for being a superhero and for being an amazing guest. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast and thank you very much for sharing the word and what you do with your podcast. It's amazing. So thank you very much because people are exposed to these lessons and they learn more and yeah, I'm sure more people will come forward and donate. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. The next new episode will be released on Monday, the 8th of November. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.